Yeah. Uh, and so just thinking what would be profitable uh, for um, us this evening, um, I believe uh, this passage in Acts chapter 20 um, would be ideal for, uh, for all of us. Um, in many ways, I don't fit, um, I don't qualify to, to preach it. I'm not, I've not labored among you for many years or for some long time and therefore going away. So in that sense, it's uh, really, it's Paul, but uh, it's God's word. And I want us to draw uh, some lessons from what Paul does say to these uh, um, people um, in Ephesus or the leaders of Ephesus whom he had called to where he was uh, so that uh, he can uh, be an encouragement to them. My aim, therefore, uh, brethren, is to be an encouragement to you uh, this evening from this passage. Lessons from Paul's life and ministry as he was leaving these people and heading back um, in his third missionary journey uh, to Jerusalem. We can learn something. So from we will be looking from verses 18 to around 32 there. Uh, now just to help us set a stage for this passage, I'm reminded of what a good mother would do in a home. A mother is setting off, going to the market to fetch for food for the children, for the family. And, and what would a good mother do? Leaving children in the home, uh, she would give uh, uh, directives. Uh, she would say, do ABC, X, Y, Z, and then there are other don'ts. Don't do this, don't do this. A good mother would say uh, such, you know, something like, uh, don't open the gate or the door for strangers. Um, don't touch the stove. Uh, don't open the fridge unless until uh, I return. You know, just things like that. Various do's and don'ts. But also, um, such a mother knows what the family needs, uh, and she just doesn't want to assume all will be well. No, she is laying down. Uh, such directives for the family. And, and Paul, like a good mother, uh, is doing just that in this passage uh, for us. Well, um, I, I want us to look at this passage in, in just four simple ways. Uh, then we can uh, round it up by bringing up some areas of application but the first one I want us to see is experience. The second thing is motivation. The third thing is warning. And then the fourth thing is encouragement. So as we go through it, I hope you'll be able at the end to have at least four points. So the first thing I want us to see in this, uh, this passage is experience. Paul, how did you handle your life? Paul, you're about to, to, to go to Jerusalem. Uh, just say something so that your life can be 
uh, a source of uh, encouragement to us. What experiences stand out for you, Paul? And he, you know, they did ask this, but just the way Paul speaks to them, we can ask that question and then get response from this passage. Verses 18 to 21 uh, gives us something of Paul's experience and which he therefore desires these people to follow. Let me read verses 18 to 21. This is what we get. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time. I'm reading from ESV, please. Uh, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with the trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable um, and teaching you um, in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying, that is my experience. I am not ashamed of it. Paul always lived, we may say, an open life before these people. Actually, not only in Ephesus, but in all of Asia. Indeed, wherever he went, they saw him. They, they knew him. They witnessed his life. And that's why he says, you yourselves know. And then he explains what is it that they know. The humility that marked his life. Uh, and then the, the trials, the challenges, even the tears that he went through. Um, and he says he did not hold anything back. He gave them uh, all that was helpful. And all that was helpful is captured under this proclaiming and teaching publicly and privately. So he testified to all uh, this repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. That was, in a nutshell, uh, his message. Wherever he went, even to the Th Thessalonians, it was the same message. Paul wanted um, his people to hear not only his message, actually, but his life. And, and so that's what uh, we, we, we see him telling even the Thessalonians. If we quickly look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, that is what he tells them. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, at least the second part of verse 5. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And uh, we are near there. If you look at Titus, Titus chapter 2, Paul writes to Titus, listen, Titus, that's why I left you in Crete. Please sort out things which are not sorted out. Uh, but Titus, for you, 
Titus chapter 2 verse 7. Show yourself in all respect to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity and dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may, no, uh, may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. The Apostle Paul lived an open life before all who heard him. And not only places where he preached, but even uh, towards these young people like Titus, or these people like Titus whom he, he would leave or he would send in places, he said, remember, so live such a life that no one will have anything evil to say about us. Uh, that, that's not across the board. There are so many uh, so-called men of God whose lives uh, are not a good example. So basically it would be like, okay, we'll, we'll teach. We will live the way he teaches us, but not the way he lives. That is wrong. As uh, uh, a man of God, uh, I don't like it. Back in my country, there are many who, who say, oh, I'm a, I'm a man of God, I'm a man of God. But then their lives fall short of what men of God or people of God should be. But here, Paul is saying, my life is the example for you to follow. And he desired that his um, people, the people he ministered among, would come to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, that should be our aim. But then we move on. Not only experience of his life, we, we, in the second place, we, we ask this question, Paul, what motivated you? So we are talking now of motivation. Paul, what motivated you to, to live like that? To so live your life like an open book so that all who heard you and who saw you and the people who you visited in their homes know you so well. For some of them, you shedded tears or you shed tears. What motivated you, Paul? And he tells us in verses 22 to 24, we find this. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. And then verse 24, but I do not count my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So if we ask that question, which we are asking, Paul, what motivated you? Paul is telling us here, really, now, you know, if, if we knew the future, and I'm coming to that, I want to show that Paul didn't know the future. If, 
if we knew the future, if we know our tomorrow, we know what will happen next week and next month, and that, that's easy. That could easily motivate what we, how we want to live because I know what's going to happen tomorrow and the way forward. Paul did not know. He, in fact, he didn't know everything, and certainly he did not know his future. He says that in verse 22. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. He doesn't know the future. But he declares that God does, that God knows. And in this passage, he talks of God, the Holy Spirit. So I don't know the future, Paul says, but God knows. Verse 23, uh, verse 22 again. Uh, he's constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to him there, except that the Holy Spirit testify to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. So God, the Holy Spirit, knows and knew what future is there for Paul. Thank God, God knew. But what did God know is waiting for Paul? He's not ashamed to say it. He declares that the Holy Spirit knows and has planned the future, but it's a future which includes suffering. It includes suffering. Yeah, people have, and I say here, professing Christians, people have uh, a very narrow view of Christianity. People only think of good about Christianity or in, in the experience of Christianity, it's just the idea of good. And they hope tomorrow will be good and, and they want good. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. But we have a culture, we have people who, for them, Christianity should just be a bag of goods. Paul is telling us, no, no, that's not the way it will be. God has the future. God plans the future, and that's wonderful. But that future includes suffering. It includes suffering. We are in Acts. If you just turn back to chapter 14, you will see that Paul actually talks about that. Acts chapter 14, verse 22. As uh, Paul and Barnabas were going from one place to the other uh, and um, preaching the gospel. Uh, Acts chapter 14, verse 22, we find them uh, in there encouraging the churches. This is what he says. Why don't we pick it from verse 21? When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, okay, so these are new believers, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. What were they doing? Verse 22. Strengthening the souls of the disciples. Encouraging them to continue in the faith. And saying that through 
many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. So friends, here, the kingdom is, of God is assured. We must enter it. The believers need to have themselves encouraged in the faith. But a part of that encouragement is to be honest and tell the believers that it will be through many tribulations. And we must not shy away from that. And you know, it was the consistent teaching uh, of Paul to believers. Paul writing to uh, this younger man, Timothy, uh, as he sought to encourage him in the work that he had, he had um, commissioned him to do uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, we read this. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So those who desire, those who certainly get motivated to, to live godly, to please God, a part of their experience will be persecution. And Paul is telling us that here. So God says, Paul, you will suffer, but it is all in my hand and my plan. We are back to Acts chapter 20. It's all in my plan. It's all in my hand, Paul. I've called you for work to do, but that work entails also going through challenges, going through afflictions. What is Paul's response? Did he surrender in the sense of retreat and, and walk away from it? No, we know Paul didn't do that. And Paul's response is beautifully captured in that, uh, in these verses. We are back in Acts chapter 20. Um, when he has said, uh, verse 23, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me, Listen to this, 24. But I, do not, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to me. Paul basically has resigned his life in the hands of God. And then he goes on to say, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So really, Paul's response is, God, I will do it. I will do it. I will go where you send me. I will finish my work with joy. It is the gospel of the grace of God. When Paul was called to labor in that way, then he said, fine, I will obey. Uh, dear friends, the sovereign God calls us. And when he calls us, then ours 
must be to please him with all that is within us. You know what? It's all in his hands. And we can afford to trust him. However hard it is. When we know it is the Lord who has called, then the challenges on the way um, should not be a barrier. Actually, should cause us to go forward. Because he says, listen, yeah, the way will be tough, but it is my task. It, it, it's my project. It's my mission. I've called you to it. Uh, we are in Acts. If you just turn back uh, to the left a little in Acts chapter 17, verse 16. This is what we read. Acts 17, verse 16. This is Paul in Athens. This is what we read. Now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So Paul was in a situation and he looked and he saw wickedness, idol, one idol after another, people who were far from God, people who were who were deceived. They were engaged in some form of worship, but it's idol worship. So what did Paul do? Did he wash his hand and say this? There's no hope for these people. Let me find another territory or another place where I can bring God's word. No. Verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. So the horrible situation he found actually motivated, or the Lord used that to motivate him in the work or for the work. The, the, our difficult situation, or when we see a difficult, a messy situation, we don't think this way, but this is what we are learning from Paul. That difficult situation should cause us to go ahead because that is where the work of the Lord needs to be done. And, and so Paul really is our good, um, good example here. What motivated him should motivate us. Maybe just quickly, then we move on. Um, if you turn, because our ultimate, anyway, our ultimate um, motivator, if I put it that way, should be the Lord himself. So if you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, and uh, in verse 2, we find this. I'll read from verse 1. Hebrews chapter 12, verse, two, uh, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so easily, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What motivation would be there? Verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So there was a task set before him. It was a heavy task. In his case, the cross was there. He despised the shame and carried on the work. The gospel is set before Paul, and he says, My desire is to please God till I finish. And what was there for Paul remains for us. There is the gospel to be carried out, and we need to be faithful because it is God's mission. And then quickly, if we can look in the third place um, as we set the warning, because already the two things that Paul is saying, Paul feels like this good mother. He's not just saying, well, this should be done, this should be done, this should be done. There are things, she says, don't touch the stove. Don't go there. Don't do this. And, and, And Paul also is telling us in this passage, um, setting before us some warnings. Be alert. Take care. Now, why does that come about? Verses 25 all the way down to 31, we see that. Let me just read. We are back to Acts chapter 20. Uh, Verses 25 to 31, we read this. And now, behold, I know that none of you, among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom, will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remember that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Now those are heavy words. Heavy words indeed. And here, because really Paul is saying, I have preached to you. I'm going away. I am innocent of your blood. Paul Paul just sounds, Paul, you're sounding very negative. You're consigning these people to, to a situation where it's like, what? I'm innocent of your blood. Now, taken properly, uh, that's not bad. And actually, that is what every preacher of God's word ought to say or ought to mean. 
when we are preaching, when we are declaring God's word. In other words, a preacher should so speak and say, I have held nothing back. I mean, as I walk out of the pulpit, please, if you then do not take and respond positively, then you cannot point a finger at me. Paul is saying, I am innocent of your blood. So, yeah, the words are strong, but the words honestly, and we will see, they are not given negatively, they are not given in bitterness. No. Well, Paul does tell us why he is innocent. His innocence is um, brought out uh, in this, that he had declared and not held anything back. Look at verse 27. You know, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So Paul can honestly say, I have been faithful to bring uh, my whole ministry of God's word as he gives it to me. I didn't hold anything back. In our own context, in, in the context of a biblical church, that means speaking, you know, preaching the, the Bible or from the Bible fully, wholly, not taking passages that we think our um, congregation would say bigger men to at the end, but so preaching in such a way that nothing is held back. And actually, one of uh, uh, the ways that this can be accomplished is expository preaching through books of the Bible. Because left to ourselves, there are passages that we, as preachers, we would wish to, 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 to avoid. We are human, and we want people to love us. We want people to to not avoid us. And so there are some passages that uh, when we come to, it's like, what will I say here? And, and, and maybe that that brother, that sister may think, I'm, I'm out to get them. So God, how can I? And so it's easy to leave those passages. But please, when we are preaching expositorily, passage after passage, then we can't avoid any. And when we come to that particular passage that goes to, to, to pierce a person's heart, then they will not say, uh-uh, pastor is out for me today. No, because they have been sitting at the pew listening to you week by week, and they know, they didn't even know that that passage is coming, but in the process, then it is there. They, it's between them and the word of God. And so... Here he says, I did not hold anything back that was needful. I declared to you the whole counsel of God. Well, if that is the case or since that is the case, we see then what he declares. He says, verse 28, pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. 
care for the church of God because of how precious it is. It is bought with the blood or his own blood. And this, in that little phrase, there is an amazing truth there. Now, of course, God did not die. You know, God the Father did not die. It's God the Son who died. But here then, as he's put, care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Surely we are seeing here, therefore, that the Son is indeed God. He's the one who died. He's the one who shed his blood. And his blood is precious. And God will want to make sure his church is properly cared for. There is so much packed in that verse 28, we can't look at it all. But he says, pay careful attention. And it's the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit, who so works to bring men into this great task, into this office. Well, and he's... Uh, his, this task, this warning uh, goes uh, further now. Uh, and, and we ask, but, but why, why did you give such strong words? Why? Verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own self will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So here again, a lot can be said. We can't really unpack it all. But fear souls will come they will, and, and from outside. And those from within will also uh, speak perverse things, speak twisted things. To what end? What is their aim? What's their aim? Whether they come from outside or from within, what's their aim? To mislead the people of God, to sway them away, to draw them away that they may no longer follow the, their master. And that is why verse 31 tells us, therefore, be alert. Be alert. Remember that for three years I did not cease night and day to admonish everyone with tears. In many churches, uh, at least in my country, in many churches, who occupies the pulpit is no big deal. A quick, simple story, uh, you know, um, illustration. My fellow elder, one of my fellow elders, Moses, when he was still wandering in his early days in the Christian faith, he wandered into some charismatic group, some charismatic church on a Sunday morning. And definitely the person at the door knew that he was new in, in the group, in the church there. And the person whether he was one of the pastors there or a deacon or whoever, but at the door, oh, welcome. You are visiting with us, yes. Oh, I'm just, it's even sad to say this, but it's like the Lord has sent you. You're the one to give us the message today. He's a new believer. He's just walked in to some strange, some church, 
And they said, yeah, you are the one to give us the No, 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 I, uh, I've just come. I want to benefit. No, you are the one to speak today. I think Moses then quickly made about turn and said, no, 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 this is not my place. Some people don't care who then goes to the pulpit to so teach. And that, that's dangerous, but that happens a lot in my part of the world. Well, friends... So far, what Paul has said honestly can, can give um, anyone, and ought to give anyone, every one of us, uh, a bit of cold feet, we say. What? If that is what is demanded of me, can I, honestly, can I be a preacher? Can I be a pastor? The demand is too high. Uh, what is required of a pastor is too much. It, it involves shedding tears. It involves even speaking of those passages that you'd wish to narrowly escape. I don't think I'm ready. And even believers may say, wow, that's a hard life. Paul ends this by giving an encouragement. And it's an encouragement for all of us. Look with me, verse 32, just a small verse. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Well, that actually is a, a great, great encouragement. Paul has talked very strongly. That his warning is very strong, as we have seen. Um, but instead of leaving people discouraged, um, we see this note of encouragement. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. That phrase, the word of his grace, appears even earlier. It was there in Acts chapter 14, verse 3. But the description of the word of his grace is a description of the gospel. The gospel. When, when we consider the gospel, it's nothing but the word of the grace of God. It's good news. And it's good news which when a, when a sinner hears, when a sinner hears it opened up, explained, then applied, honestly, we can rightly say it's the word of the grace of God. Something that sinners don't deserve. Sinners deserve judgment, punishment. But God comes with his Good news that my son has died. And if you look to my son, you will be forgiven. And by the way, that kept coming because even in verse 21, uh, Paul puts it in, in a different way. Verse 21, Acts 20, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks. But what was he testifying? Repentance toward God. And of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. 
the word of grace, the gospel. And the point we, we are seeing here now is that God is able to keep his people by the word of his power. God is the very one who has arranged, as we saw in the morning, the coming of the Lord Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's the, he's the anointed one. And he's coming, and he's being mistreated by these wicked people who put him to death. And therefore, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. This is, we may say, this is God's project. This is God's project. So God is able to keep by the word of his power. The gospel is able to build his people up during storms. And you know, friends, we go through the storms of life. We go through storms of life. It is the gospel. And how far can that gospel reach us? In fact, to the very end, till we reach heaven, the same verse 32 has that. Just look at it again. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you, listen to this, to give you the inheritance. When do we get inheritance? The illustration of some young man saying, Dad, I just want my inheritance now, didn't end well, you know, in the Gospels. He got eight and he went, squandered it only to come back. And say, Dad, I messed it up. And even in that illustration of how God deals with sinners. But the inheritance is that which is given at the very end. When the giver or when the person who has offered it, in this case, in the human setup, is when a father dies, then his inheritance is given to his children. It is at the end. When is this end we are talking about? It is heaven itself. And so the gospel is able to build and to keep believers safe till they reach heaven and to receive those things that God has promised them there, those who are sanctified those who have been taken through the whole process of the gospel. Friends, this is a rich passage. Well, just so that as we um, round it up, a few things just to carry home. Like in a wedding, um, when the big cake has been cut to pieces and people have tasted, usually then... Uh, at least it's beginning to be in my country, then uh, the, the bride and the bridegroom would have made some tiny little cakes and tied them nicely so that each person who came to the wedding would carry a piece of cake and go home with them. That's, that happened, uh, you know. So each person carries a tiny little piece of bag uh, cakes from... Uh, from the wedding. Well, what do we carry from this passage? A few things. One, dear Christian leaders, let Paul be our example for faithful labor. Even when we suffer, 
ultimately, of course, let Christ be like we saw in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. But here, Paul shows us how we should be. Let Paul be our great example. Even when we suffer. And tied to that, certainly, is that let the mission of God and his call, let that be our motivating principle. Let that motivate us. Even when the future looks so bleak, he who has called us is faithful. We can trust him. Like Job, we can't. Even if he smites us, even if he should kill us, we should say, I'll trust him because he has called us to his work, to his mission, to his business. We should desire to fulfill that business. Well, not all are called to be preachers, but therefore I'm thinking in the second place, professing Christian, professing Christian. In other words, you're here, you're claiming to be a Christian. Please, this passage teaches us something. Take heed, watch, be on your guard. False teachers are not there to play around. They are there to, to, to mislead us. And please, let me put it very uh, simply. You are safe. From this pulpit, you are safe. So I urge you honestly to hold on to and cling to the gospel as preached from this place. I'll go a little further. Please, that means therefore, avail yourself at every means of grace from this pulpit and related opportunities to the ministry of this pulpit. Then you will be assured for heaven, by the way. Now, we are living at a dif uh, difficult time, at a dangerous time. COVID came, and COVID uh, just, just messed so many things. But also it revealed, because, you know, we, we were having, in many places... There were many who were attending churches. COVID came and the challenges of the COVID. And what happened? When it was now off, then it's like, where were those many who previously came to our churches? Did COVID finish Christianity? Not for true believers. But you see, COVID bred what we would call TV or media mm, congregation, media Christians, in quote, are people who the need to be at church is just optional. And they can say, well, I'll, I'll just tune in and, and see what I can find for today. Now, that is dangerous to say the least. Because one flicks through, and, and who do they get? All manner. And you are neighbors, so you know some of them, Joel Austin and Joyce Myers and what have you. And, and they have their rich programs. 
And in my country, people sit back and say, well, today I was blessed. I listened to Joyce Meyer and the others. And it's all poison. Because, you know, with poison, it doesn't need to be 100% poison. Even if it's 80 good stuff, the 20% is poison. You're in danger. And sadly, many people are that way, you know, going that way. Friends, there is, there is great blessing if you maintain your time and your, uh, your grip upon what is delivered from this pulpit. And then finally, let me just round up. For the unbeliever, for the unbeliever among us, there is no other way to reach heaven. No other way. For believers and for unbelievers, no other way to reach heaven. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that is the way to reach heaven. And I say that without any holding back. People don't graduate. People don't come into Christianity through faith and repentance. And then somehow there is another way of, uh, you know, of reaching heaven. That's why Paul can say uh, in verse 21 is uh, repentance and uh, toward God, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as he encourages them, the last, he, he talks again about the word of his grace. It is the word of his grace. And so I just want to uh, say, please, turn, turn to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. And we who by grace, if you have turned, please put your trust in this Lord by faith. We began that way, we continue that way. Repentance toward God and faith. The Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. We give you thanks, our Father, for your word. And we pray that we will be encouraged in the midst of many challenges. We pray that we will be those who maintain faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, constantly turning away from sin, and that, Lord, you'd be pleased to build us up in the faith. You'd be pleased to keep us safe from deceptions, from all manner of uh, false teachings that are around about us. Lord, take your word and use it for our good. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.